You're listening to the Broncos Audio Zone. Thank you for joining us here on the Neutral Zone. I am Phil Milani, joined as always by my partner in crime, my trusty sidekick. You know, if you listen to this show, you know who this is. The best way to describe this person is just really my everything. That's at Eric Dalala. Phil, if it's a pleasure for you to have me on this podcast, it's, it's hard to even describe what it means to me to join you. It's just a real honor uh, to have this discussion every week with you, and uh, hopefully our listeners enjoy it as well. We've got one heck of a show coming up for you this week. We're going to hear from Broncos Ring of Famer Rod Smith. We had him talk about some of the wide receivers that the Broncos selected in this year's draft, what the hardest transition is to going from college to the pros. And then uh, we'll get into – What does it mean for the Broncos to go out and draft three wide receivers? What does that mean for guys like Tim Patrick, Deshaun Hamilton, Deontay Spencer, Juwan Winfrey, some of the guys at the end of that uh, wide receiver depth chart? What does it mean for them, Uh, Eric? And then later on in the show, we'll uh, chat with Jake Plummer. We started a new series on DenverBroncos.com called Broncos Legends. And uh, the first one was Jake Plummer, so we'll uh, have a chat with him. Some interesting advice he had for Drew Locke. What what uh, would he get, tell the young quarterback heading into his second year? Some advice for him. One hint: it had nothing to do with being out on the field. It was a it was a more of a locker room type of uh, advice. So uh, we'll hear from Jake Plummer, and then we'll get into some other stuff. So Eric, how does that sound? I love it. Let's do it. I feel like I just talked for a really long time. I know. I I kind of left our podcast studio here for a second. I went to go do a couple of things and then I came back. You were still talking. So I left again, you know, to get a cup of Meza Morning Blend from our friends at West Rock Coffee, which you can get at King Supers. Which one is that yeah. one? How, how do I find that? Yeah, it's the gold package with the elephant on the front. Got it. Got it. And yeah, then we love uh, that. Yeah. And then after that, um, then you were done talking. So that kind of gets us to where we are now. And now I'm talking. Uh, well, are you fired up about the show? Yes, let's do it. All right. Well, without further ado, here's my conversation with Broncos ring of famer, Rod Smith. What's the biggest challenge of making the transition to the NFL? You know what, man? To, to me, it's, it's mental. Um, we know these guys, all the guys that come into the league at this level, they all have the physical talent, um, but it's the confidence. How can I, as a coach, as an organization, as a player, how can I develop that confidence to say I can compete at this level? For me, that's what it was. You're a little starstruck at first. You know, for me, it was a little different. I was walking in the huddle with John Elway, <laughs> so it was scary as hell, but I didn't want to let them down. I didn't want to let myself or my family down. And so I literally had to grow up real quick. For a guy like Jerry Judy, though, the 15th overall pick, there's big expectations coming into the NFL. Absolutely. I Honestly, he was my pick. I said, man, if we can get that guy. I remember telling Alfred Williams, I said, man, if we can get that guy. He said, why did you choose him and I won't see the other receiver? Because he got chosen 
as well in the first round. And uh, he said, why would you pick him over this guy? I said, dude, I don't watch a lot of college football, but when I watch tape on this kid, what I saw was special as far as his ability to run full speed and run routes and stop on a dime and get back to full speed very quickly. I said, that is special, it's different. And playing at Alabama, you're playing against the best in college football. And so the transition for, for him to me is going to be easier because he played at that top level. I mean, I think they probably had two corners get drafted in the first two rounds as well. So that's who he was going against every day in practice. And I think he'll be for us and what we need right now for me. I'm on the outside still, but I think he can come in and I think he can be a, a run for rookie of the year because we'll, we'll get to use him according to his talent. Rod, in your opinion, why do you think Judy has such developed route running skills? I call it gap. Uh, and I, when I teach young guys and even older guys, I, I call it gap. G is go. You got to get your butt off the ball. All this dancing at the line, we don't have time for that. A is accelerate. You notice he did that. He dipped and he accelerated. And then the P is actually position, like basketball. You got to position yourself to receive the ball, or if it was a, a basketball bounce pass or a lob or whatever it was, you got to get your body in position. So I call it gap, and I just gave all my secrets away to the world. But <laughs> you still got to do it. <laughs> and when I see him on tape, that's what I saw. And I'm like, dude, he already got it. And that, to me, was like, he'll be further advanced than some of the other receivers. And, and I didn't get to, of course, watch every receiver. But he would be more advanced that I think we need to help our quarterback, who's a young guy, who help our other receivers, who are young guys, for them to be out there, man, playing backyard football. Is that just high football IQ, knowing how to do that stuff already at a young age? You know what it is, man? He went to Alabama. These dudes got the best of the best. They got former pro coaches. They got, you know, they got the best of the best. They get the best facilities. They get the best coaching. They get the best teaching. It's like being NFL B. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? He, he's, he's, he's playing against the best um, defenses in the country, some of the best disguises in the country, and his football IQ is going to be better. All right, let's move on to uh, uh, K.J. Hamler. Rob, what would you tell uh, Hamler? He's a smaller guy. You know, uh, what's the key for him to being able to survive in the NFL? Well, oh, that's it. That's his advantage. You got DB, DBs who are bigger, stronger, um, and, and these guys got good footwork as well, but he can go underneath them. He, and what I mean by underneath them, playing with strength, playing with power. Uh, and like I said, his stride is perfect, man. He has the perfect stride for running routes getting in and out of cuts. He's got that wiggle. And when he catches the ball in space, for him, the, the, the thing is going to be, hey, get up there, get two, get, get two more, get five more, get seven more. And if they absolutely miss, it's gone. He, he's gone. And, and I think we can see, we're going to see that. Over the 16-game season, I can see this kid, and, and, and it's not, no exaggeration, six to eight touchdowns because of somebody missed. And then he's going to make them pay. What do you think about the trend in wide receivers now in the NFL compared to when you played? I mean, it seems like speed is the name of the game. Yeah. Man, these kids are fast. I'm like, the thing is that some of them are bigger, but they run, they're running four fours, like low four fours all day. You know, this is not on a good day. This is they play at that speed. And, and so the techniques, the trainings are better. Um, my thing is that the, the difference is to me is the mental part. They don't have to deal with Steve Atwater standing back there about to take your head off. They don't have to deal with John Lynch's of the world. 
Um, I played against some guys that literally made their living knocking people out. Um, and they got to say, they got to play like this guy's going to hit me like that. And they got to be aggressive. I, I don't like this, this passive receiver kind of era. And I think if we play aggressive, um, we, we're bringing the heat and we keep guys on their toes. And uh, you see him take a big hit from a safety, knock him back, but it didn't stop him. And that's what I like. And then let's wrap up here with uh, the final pick. That's Tyree Cleveland out of Florida. Man, you put this kid with Cortland, Tim Patrick, uh, Hamilton. That's six guys. That's like a toy box of different skills and talents that I'm going to unleash on the NFL. My quarterback is going to have somebody at all times that he can rely on because I got these six guys and they're interchangeable parts to put them in the best position for them to win. So my quarterback is not worried about getting hit in the back of the head because of lack of confidence, um, uncertainty, and knowing that these kids are in a position to run the route that is perfect for them. And man, Coach Sherman is going to have his work cut out for him. Um, but it's a good thing. He, he's one of the best at dialing this stuff up over the years. I've watched him for years. And, um, and it's going to be fun. Adding Gordon at running back with a pro bowler and Lindsey, um, a quarterback who's hungry. And I, I just love his hunger to be better. And, and, and I think um, really matured over the end, at the end of the season from, from, from Drew. And it's like, man, stay healthy. But we do have interchangeable parts. And I think that actually helps us. Um, and, and don't forget, Corlin Sutton was a pro bowl. You know, Corlin's a big kid, man. And I remember the first time I saw him, they were practicing against the Bears. And I watched him. And he didn't know who I was. <laughs> and he didn't know. I own all the records there, Corlin, just so you know. Um, and I watched him get off the ball. And it was long stride, kind of methodical. And he was... And I say, hey, man, when you come off to burst, I say gap. Well, I didn't say it to him that way, but I just said burst and, you know, get off the ball. It's a go route every time. And I remember him running a, a, a what we call a comeback. And he took off like he was running go, and he sat down on the guy, and the guy was just lost. And I said, yeah, like that. And Demarius Thomas came over, introduced me to him, and said, hey, man, whatever he says, listen to him. And uh, I felt pretty good that Demarius said that. But I, what I really felt good was I saw him progress as the year went on. And last year had a phenomenal year. This guy's a ball magnet. And I think as the leader of that group now, because he is, uh, we're, not, we're not paying him to just catch passes anymore. He's got to step into that leadership role of that group. And I believe those guys will respect him and they'll compliment him, but at the same time, build their own brand. Because that's what this, 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 this generation is about, their individual brand. And you do it through winning. There's no way you can have those six guys that I mentioned, plus Lindsey, plus Gordon, plus Noah Fan. There's no way we're not going to have some fun on offense this year. Uh, you plan on reaching out to some of these rookies, Rod? You know what, man? I I would love to. Honestly, I like to watch. You know, I just I like to play my role as far as being in the background. I'm a under a uh, no non-paid cheerleader. But if they ever ask, I'm there. You know, I've had guys ask over the years, several guys who went on to say, man, listen, you know something I don't know. Tell me what you know. 
And if they ask, I'm here. I, 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 I want us back on top, us back in the hunt for another title. And I think we're putting it in pieces together. So shout out to the organization, man, for bringing, bringing the guys in that you brought in. Um, scout department with Matt and John and all those guys uh, say, hey, listen, we're on the hunt to win now. And, and let's go get the talent to do it. Uh, Ron, I just before you go, I was just curious. What would you? What kind of advice would you give to a wide receiver currently on the roster, a guy like Tim Patrick or somebody like that? When you see the organization go out and get these wide receivers, how do you do? You take that personally? That does that motivate you? <laughs> you know what? It's it, it's business. I love Tim. I've had some some conversations with Tim. I haven't had the chance to work with him on the field, but I really really love that kid's game, man. Um, he's hungry. I think he's an undrafted guy, so, you know, I'm partial. Uh, but I saw him come in and make plays when we needed a guy to make plays. We had some some guys down. For Tim, here's what Tim has to do, what he's always done. Tim is a hard worker. Tim knows all the position. Tim can spell people. Tim is not taking second field with anybody. Tim, Tim mentally, this is my year to be a starter. Hmm. This is my uh, – Hamilton, this is my year to be the starter. Regardless of the opportunities you've had, you have to think I'm the starter and they have to come take my position. You can't control what the coaches give them as far as reps. I can control the rep. I can't control how many I get. But the ones I get, oh, you can best believe they're going to be the best. You're going to get the best I got. And you're going to know that I'm capable of helping this team win a football game. That was me as an undrafted free agent. I'm running the, the go routes where the ball's not going to come. I'm doing the dirty work on trying to block linebackers. I'm playing special teams. I'm doing whatever I have to do to make the team. But in my mind, I'm the starter. Here's what happened. One day, they gave me starter reps. I never looked back. I never looked back. I prepared from that. I prepared for the moment I got to the Broncos that I was a starter when I was on the bench, when I was on the practice squad, when I was not traveling. I prepared every day. And that's what I mean by the mentality. Don't let any, no one can control your mentality. You get to control how you respond to adversity, which is coming because that's what this business is. They're going to put you in positions where you don't think it's fair. They're going to put you in positions where it's tough mentally, physically, emotionally. How do you handle it? Because if you handle it, this is for Tim and anybody else. If you handle it, they, by just true faith, they're going to give you another chance to handle it again. And every time you handle it, they know that that guy can help us win football games. And so, I, I like I said, I'm a huge fan of Tim. Uh, I really love his demeanor and the way he plays. And I want him on the football field because I, I have it. And, of course, I'm not in the, in the meetings. But I haven't seen him make many mistakes, and I see him play hard. And we need as many guys like that as you can get. You know, hungry, hard worker, and and, and trust me, I'm I'm a fan, and and I, and I root for him. Rod, I love it. Thank you so much. Appreciate your time, man. No problem, man. My thanks to Rod Smith for joining us here. Uh, a lot of interesting things to uh, discuss from what Rod had to say. First of all, Eric, he called Alabama pretty much like NFL B. You know, he said that uh, Jerry Judy's been playing against some of the top defensive backs there are in college football, and that's really going to help his transition to the NFL. 
Yeah, and I mean, I think particularly at the wide receiver position, Phil, we see that. You know, Amari Cooper, Julio Jones, Calvin Ridley, those are all guys that came out of Alabama and made impacts, you know, right away, essentially, and are some of the top in the game. Um, You know, I think that it's going to be interesting to see how that works with Judy without this offseason program in person. But, yeah, I mean, listen, wide receiver is one of the toughest positions to adjust from college to the NFL. And so I think that the fact that you're coming from a pro-style program is only going to help this year. Yeah, and the knock on Judy is that, oh, he he didn't get jammed at the line. He doesn't know how to uh, come off of press coverage. But we saw, you know, in the film breakdown – that he knows how to do that. He knows how to make his body small. He can get off the line. And uh, more than that, he is good at recognizing what the defense is in. He knows how to get open. He knows how to uh, sort of, uh, he knows the scheme and what he's supposed to do within that scheme. Yeah, no, I think that that uh, is an important point And one of the reasons that he should be able to be effective right away. And then KJ Hamler talked about his speed a little bit there and just that, look, if his mentality is like, okay, let's just move the chains, let's get first downs, and every once in a while he's going to bust one of those loose, uh, I, you know, I think that that's a pretty uh, – that's a fair description of his game is that he's probably going to get loose a few times as a rookie, and he's got the capability to take that to the house. Yeah, and Phil, we saw last – Year, the Broncos still, you know, they need to be better at those explosive plays and turn those 20-yard gains into 40-yarders, and the 40-yard gains take them all the way. I think that's where K.J. Hamler fits in. We know that Judy and Hamler are going to make the team, but uh, after that, it's going to be interesting. Well, we talked about Tyree Cleveland there, Rod Smith, a big fan of Cleveland's competitive nature. And he's going to have to really put that on display during training camp because all of a sudden wide receiver is one of the deepest positions on this roster. Yeah. I mean, I think we know three guys are going to make it right. Phil, you know, Corlin Sutton, Jerry Judy, and KJ Hamler are all going to make the team. And most teams are going to carry six wide receivers. So that leaves a bunch of guys competing for those final spots. Um, and you think about guys like Deshaun Hamilton, Tim Patrick, Deontay Spencer, Tyree Cleveland. Those are probably – you're talking about four guys there for three spots. Um, and, you know, everyone's kind of talked about, hey, Deshaun Hamilton might be the guy that Tyree Cleveland's competing against. But it, it might be Tim Patrick because they're similar in terms of their, their game style and, uh, you know, being on the outside. Uh, being really good special teams players, you know, maybe there's a potential they can play on kickoff coverage, maybe gunner on special teams. Um, and so to me, it's interesting to think about, you know, are the Broncos going to choose the best receiver? Cause in that case, I would think, you know, Tim Patrick probably is a little bit ahead of Dejon Hamilton, but if, if it's in a conversation of who helps the football team overall, including special teams, you know, then maybe it's a guy like Tyree Cleveland who takes Tim Patrick's spot. And if I were Deontay Spencer, Phil, I'd be hoping that KJ Hamler gets involved in the offense as early as possible because if KJ Hamler starts returning punts, uh, you know, I'm interested to see where Deontay Spencer fits in because he didn't necessarily do a ton on offense last year and his main role was returning punts. So if somebody else is doing that, where does that leave him? 
Yeah, I thought what uh, Vic Fangio said after the draft was interesting there because everybody just assumes, okay, now Hamler is going to be the the returner. But Fangio was like, no, we like Deontay Spencer as a returner there. So I think that's going to be interesting to see how they use all of those guys uh, and how, how it, it, you know, like you were saying there, what's the best combination of guys and uh, what gives the Broncos offense the best chance to be explosive? Um, you talk about Deshaun Hamilton there. Deshaun did not have a great 2019, but he did come on when Drew Locke came out there. All of a sudden, he started getting more targets. Uh, he, it looked like maybe he put his drops, those pro- the problems he had earlier in the season, he put those behind him. So uh, it seemed like maybe Deshaun Hamilton turned a corner at the end of the year. So maybe he can continue that into training camp. And then, uh, you know, Tim Patrick had some injury problems earlier in the year, but we know what he's capable of. Uh, He's a big-bodied wide receiver who can go out there and make plays. I agree with you. I think that it's going to come down to Tim Patrick and Tyree Cleveland really competing um, just because they bring a lot of the same thing. And then a guy like Juwan Winfrey made some big catches last year in the preseason, didn't really see any action in the regular season. So, uh I'm not sure he's going to have to really do something special uh, to make this team. So uh, I don't know. The wide receiver spot is going to be really interesting. I like what Rod said there, though, is that don't worry about the numbers. Don't worry about those things. Just control the reps that you get. Yeah. And yeah, I guess I forgot about Winfrey there just because he didn't take as many snaps last season. Uh, I don't think he had a catch last year, if I'm remembering correctly. Um, You know, if I were to guess, today phil as we're recording this at the end of may i think that the the wide receiver room will look similar except for judy and hamler you know i think patrick spencer and hamilton will all make the team um cleveland to me is a guy you took him what with the 254th 252nd pick i think 252 i think he's a guy you can stash on the practice squad um you know with the new rule changes in the cba uh it sounds like you're going to be able to bring guys up from the practice squad to the roster on game day to have a 55 man game day roster. Maybe, you know, maybe there's a time or two where he gets an opportunity that way to be on the active roster, maybe be active depending on the situation. Uh, But yeah, I mean, kind of the, there's just a clear demarcation between Sutton, Judy and Hamler and all those, all those other guys. And Cleveland is a guy who has an enormous amount of potential, Uh, got into a little bit of trouble when he was at Florida, and that could have uh, caused maybe some of his issues in terms of production. Uh, So maybe if he's got those in his past, maybe he can, uh, if he's just focused on football, maybe he could surprise some people. So um, I just don't know if that's going to be enough to beat out a guy like Tim Patrick. Yeah, I mean, it's a low risk pick you know, there in the, the end of the seventh round. Um, and we just don't know a whole lot about what he is because he truthfully didn't do all that much at Florida. You know, he had a, he had a productive sophomore season. I think he led the team in receptions there that year. Um, but then senior year was beat out by other guys on the roster. And listen, I know Florida is a, one of the top SEC programs. It's talented down there, but it's still not an NFL team. And so, you know, it's rare that you see a guy lose playing time uh, late in his college career and then be super productive 
it's kind of what Deshaun Hamilton had to deal with at Penn State a little bit. Um, and, you know, like you said, he came out at the end of last year, but I think Broncos fans, you know, you're in a better spot because if Judy or Sutton get hurt, now you've at least got some guys that are competent backups that can fill in for several weeks. And you're just in a better position because instead of being your starters like they were last year, you know, now they're guys that are good reserves that can fill in, take meaningful reps. But the issue last year was when those guys got hurt, when Tim Patrick got hurt, then you had to go further down the depth chart and the competitive depth wasn't there necessarily. Yeah. I mean, uh, ideally you don't get into a situation where you're having to pick up street free agents at the end of the year. You know, you've got enough depth on your, on your roster or on your practice squad to just replace some guys and uh, maybe a guy like Fred Brown doesn't pop on the roster or something like that. So um, I think that it'll be interesting to just see how they mesh together because you hope that each guy can sort of bring something unique to the table. And uh, uh, to me, their games seem very similar, Tyree Cleveland and Tim Patrick. So yeah. um, Tim's got a little more size. Yeah, maybe a little more size. Um, but we know that Cleveland is capable of like uh, laying out for catches and, you know, make it put in his body on the line there. So, um, and, and listen, what that role would be for, you know, if Tyree Cleveland makes the roster over Tim Patrick, he should see some snaps because if you're in a situation where, um, you know, say Tim Patrick makes the roster, I see a, a chance that like Tim Patrick and Cortland Sutton could be the outside receivers and Jerry Judy could be in the slot. Or if you go four wide, maybe Judy and Hamler are the guys in the slot and Patrick and Sutton are the outside guys. Um, so there is still a need for another big body receiver because those guys aren't super easy to find. One of the advantages of having a guy like Judy is that you can place him really anywhere within yeah. the offense. So he, he could play outside, he could play inside. Um, and it just depends on what the package looks like. You know, maybe if Hamler is out there too, he's in the slot or maybe they got some stack formations or something like that. Just ways to just get them open in space, you know, and that's the, I think that's the idea with the speed that the Broncos have added. Um, it is going to be one thing I will like to pay attention to is a lot of people have talked about Judy being a nice compliment to Cortland Sutton. And I, I wonder how that, relationship is going to grow and evolve over the course of the year because I think that uh, Judy could eventually become like a number one the way I see it I think that the Broncos have two number one guys and I think that if you draft a wide receiver at 15 you're hoping that guy eventually is your number one wide receiver you know that's the highest the Broncos have ever selected a wide receiver so um I think if you're taking a guy that high, you eventually say, look, this guy needs to be a franchise type wide receiver. So I I think that Judy can become that. And I just, it'll be interesting to see how they're featured throughout the course of the season and how that changes from the beginning of the year to the end of the year. Yeah. And listen, we talk about Calvin Ridley a lot because Jerry Judy has mentioned him as a guy that he models his game after Calvin Ridley, when he was drafted, had more touchdowns as a rookie than Julio Jones did in Atlanta. Now, Julio Jones had far more yards, more catches, but had fewer touchdowns. And maybe maybe you see a scenario where Corlin Sutton doesn't lead the team in touchdowns. That doesn't mean that he's not 
the number one or the guy. I mean, I just think that he's going to, you mentioned having two number ones. It's important. And I think Judy is going to do some things really well that Cortland, you know, they're not Cortland's strengths and Cortland does some things that probably aren't Judy's strengths. But I think you look at the film last year, just how comfortable Drew Locke was going to Cortland Sutton, that he's still going to be the guy that when he needs a play, when he needs to move the sticks, that Cortland's going to, you know, at least for the foreseeable future, be that guy. And Cortland Sutton is like a, a dream for a young quarterback because when you get into a pinch, you know you could throw it up in Sutton's vicinity and he's got a good chance of coming down with it. So, hey, maybe if you you don't necessarily know where to go with the ball right off the bat, there's a good likelihood that if you throw it around Corlin Sutton, he's going to come down with it. So uh, I think for a younger quarterback, Sutton is a huge advantage. Um, but as Drew Locke sort of grows and, and uh, his game develops, I think you're going to see him. Well, one thing he did well last year, too, was spread the ball around. But he did like to uh, go to Sutton a lot. So. Um, I, I just think that as a year evolves, I'm really interested to see how Judy evolves too. So I'm going to be interested to see how those two grow together. Um, Eric, I think that now it's time to transition and uh, move on to my conversation with Jake Plummer. We started a new series on DenverBroncos.com called Broncos Legends. We're going to go back each week and uh, chat with a Broncos alumnus and uh, see what they're up to now, have them talk about some of their favorite moments. Uh, we've got all kinds of great uh, photo galleries and stuff like that online, uh, good stories too about just sort of the timeline of these guys' careers, if you forgot. And uh, we decided to kick this thing off with Jake Plummer. So uh, here's my conversation with the snake. What have you been up to lately? <laughs> Well, like everyone else, uh, you know, basically being creative and finding uh, good ways to use my time. Hopefully most of us have realized like, wow, we were really busy, busier than we probably had to be. Now you've got a, a chance to kind of dial that back. And hopefully you've been able to go in, go internal and, and kind of think through some things and go, wow, I kind of like this moments where I just have nothing to do, no one to call. I can go outside and just get out and be free if they, if you have that ability if you're not locked in a big city like here in boulder we can go out on the paths and find some space so um, for me i've been doing that and then also uh continuing to work uh you know through zoom meetings and all that is pretty handy so uh with our playbook technology we've been trying to reach a lot of coaches to inform them of the remote learning capabilities that we have um, and then other than that just enjoying my kids and family and uh taking care of stuff around the house that's what i've been filling my time with yeah, that's one thing that we've heard from a lot of people. They've been enjoying this extra family time and just being able to, you know, live a little bit. So uh, glad to hear that you're doing well. Uh, tell me a little bit more about this uh, Ready List Sports. Yeah, you know, we've been at it for about five years. Uh, really, we have an excellent product. It's, uh, you know, top of the line playbook, digital playbook online for, you know, utilizing multiple learning styles for your players. Uh, we, we've captured and, and created the most dynamic drawing tool for drawing plays that there is on the market to save coaches time and help them implement their playbooks and then seamlessly through our app, push them out to their players so their players can study and take tests at the tail end of that that are auto-generated. All those results go back to the coach. So we've had a lot of success recently getting a lot of coaches' eyeballs on this. 
some some of it uh, budgets have been restricted, so it's hard to make new purchases by some of these programs. But we're doing pretty well, and uh, what we've tried to do is just create a tool that's going to help coaches coach better and players learn faster. And uh, when we transition back into play, and hopefully make that transition a little less stressful. You mentioned you're living up there in Boulder and getting to spend some time with your family and stuff. Uh, can you yeah. take us through a normal day for you? What, what's a typical day look like? Well, my typical day is different all the time. It all depends. You know, I, uh, with the Zoom meetings and working from home, you know, anything can come up anytime. So uh, I, I usually like to try to schedule my days so that the mornings are pretty free. I can hang out, uh, do my own little thing, which uh, usually consists of, you know, reading some sort of uh, book about something new or, or, or even just, you know, self-care or meditating, trying to get a little time to myself to just think through positive thoughts, to send out a lot of love right now to, to, to people all over the world, to what we're going through, uh, to enjoy my children, uh, you know, to hang out with them for a little bit, maybe go on a bike ride. Uh, and then they get to work. Um, you know, sometimes it's working out in the yard, just trimming trees and putting in new landscaping, or it could be, uh, you know, taking the kids out on a big hike up here in the Flatirons. Uh, you know, my days are pretty, pretty blessed to have the days I have, you know, being able to have some freedom along with scheduling the things I need to do to take care of work and stay up to, to speed with that. Um, so that's about my typical day. And then I, I like to cook. So usually at night, you know, if my wife isn't cooking, I'll, I'll get over and I'll go in there and try to create something yummy. And uh, lately we've been doing a lot of, uh, you know, looking around outside in our yard and where we live and finding actually herbs that are growing right in our backyard, you know, dandelion fritters. I made dandelion fritters, man. And <laughs> people don't think that you would use that. Some people spray them with pesticides, but we let them grow and they're really healthy for you. And it was just fun to do something different and to show your kids, you know, Hey, you know, the grocery stores closed down. There's food growing right here in your backyard. It's not a bad thing to know about. Um, obviously doing it with safety and knowing, that, you know, for sure what you can and cannot eat. But just little things like that, trying to expand on the knowledge uh, in life and living it to the fullest. That's great. I mean, most people are just uh, trying to make banana bread or something, but uh, you're out there making uh, dandelion fritters. I love it. Hey, banana bread's good, man. My, my son made some the other day, so... Having uh keeping them, you know, doing new things too, like teaching them how to bake. I mean, I would love it if my son wanted to be a chef. I'll be his guinea pig anytime. Thinking back to your playing career, Jake, uh, how would you describe the type of player that you were? Oh, man, you know, I played with a lot of passion. Uh, I went out there every time uh, to try to win. A lot of times that might have been, you know, sometimes my biggest fault, but also my greatest attribute was that I believe that every play was a play we should make and make work. And sometimes, you know, you got to sometimes just let it, let the ball go out of bounds or give up on a play and, and know that you're going to have an opportunity later. But when I was in that moment, you know, my passion would take over, my, my will to win and, and to want to succeed would take over. And sometimes I'd forget that, you know, we had a 10-point lead and you're supposed to be careful with the ball. It was just my nature to be 100% immersed in going full speed and, and doing whatever I felt like you know, kind of losing myself to the moment and, and going after it. And uh, that was pretty much me. I think a scrappy competitor that was going to fight and claw till the end. And all in all, you know, throughout my career, you know, all I wanted was to, to have a good career. And then as you progress out of your career, what I didn't know that I would appreciate as much as I do now is the respect you gain from not only your teammates, but from your opponents. Mm -hmm. So seeing a lot of former players I played against or with, you know, it's fun to go back and to hear the things they say about you as a competitor to player. 
um, you know, it makes you feel good and, and understand like, hey, I did lay it all out on the line and got nothing to regret. I saw you recently got inducted into the College Football Hall of Fame. So obviously a lot of accolades coming in post-career. Um, Jake, we were looking back through some of the old video and saw you were mic'd up a lot. Let's go now. Come on, let's wake up. Let's go. Let's go score, man. Got trips right. Zebra left. 60 zebra slice halfback wide. Let's go now. I want to use one big one for somebody. Starts with me getting the ball delivered. You guys up front protecting. Let's go now. Do you remember any of those old play calls in the huddle? Oh, uh, yeah. I have a few of them stuck in there. <laughs> one of my favorites, you know, double wing right, 76 flanker drive. You know, that was a play we ran a lot. Solo right, zoom, F right, two jet flanker drive scissors. Solo right, zoom, F right, two jet flanker drive scissors. Here we go. Let's go on two here, guys, on two. Solo right, zoom, F right, two jet. Flanker drive scissors on two. Ready? Stay set now. We had a lot of great players on uh, the Broncos teams back then. Uh, you know, my favorite, of course, to throw to was Rod Smith. I mean, the guy was just amazing. But, yeah, you know, there, there were a lot of great plays. You know, I love booting out. So, you know, any, any strong right slot, fake 34, naked left, any combos you want to throw on that, I'm loving that. As I'm rolling to my left, I'm a happy man. So, uh, you know, that playbook, you know, thinking back to it, uh, it was intense to learn that offense, to learn the terminology. Um, you know, my uh, coach Shanahan really, you know, he had such a huge plethora of plays, but he was always able to put us in position to succeed, which was really the true mark of, of, a, of a good coach, of a genius coach, really someone that could take the players, take the team and, and put them in the right place at the right time, call the right play. And, you know, more often than not, he would do that. And like I said, the times that he did it, those were some of the times I wish I could have maybe throwing that ball out of bounds or just taking a sack and, and uh, not had to have him breathing down the back of my neck when I came off the sideline. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Jake, a lot of people compare, compare your style to Drew Lotz, you know, athletic, big arm, mobile. Uh, what advice would you give to him heading into his second year here? Man, just take everything uh, in stride. Make sure you're preparing, doing everything you can for yourself mentally and then also to be the leader on this team. You know, make sure you come in ready to be that guy. And it uh, doesn't mean you have to be perfect every day or, you know, set the example every single minute. It just means you got to do your best, put your best effort forward and make sure that, you know, your teammates know, you know, they, they see that. and They see that it means something to you. How important is it to win and to win now? That's huge for him right now is to, to put his heart and soul into this. And through all of that, you know, there's so much more I could talk about, but it's just continue to, to strive to be your best, strive to, strive to do your best and strive to bring the best out of your teammates that are around you. And in order to do that, you know, you got to be yourself. And he has that down pat. I mean, the kid likes to, he's himself. He's not going to worry about what people think. We've already seen that on the sideline when he's dancing and singing, you know, somebody would probably get mad at him if he goes and throws a pick and you shouldn't be singing and laughing on the sideline. What's he going to say? He's going to say, well, that's me, yo. Don't tell me how to be. And I, that's one of the most key things is like, be yourself, young man. If you're the guy and you're a leader and you are 100% into it, just be yourself. And those guys will really, really love you and respect you and, and do great things for you. Jake, really appreciate catching up with you. And uh, thank you for your time, man. Hey, anytime, Phil. I appreciate it. You guys be safe, be sane and healthy and uh, have a good one. My thanks to Jake Plummer for uh, joining me and uh, having a chat there about his career and, uh, you know, also finished up with some advice for Drew Locke. Eric, what did you think about that? He said that Drew Locke just needs to be himself. 
He said that's the biggest thing is that, you know, if you go out and throw an interception, don't worry about people saying, oh, why are you rapping on it and doing that kind of stuff? He said, just be yourself because your teammates will respect that. Well, I think Drew's done that, you know, and he's talked about that again and again, that he didn't try to come in and be anybody else. And he thought he earned people's respect during the time he was on IR. Um, so I don't think there's any problem with Drew doing that. And it's not surprising that Jake Plummer would say that, right? Like that's, that's who he is. He wasn't worried about going out there and throwing an interception. Uh, we know he did, he did that plenty of times, but he also made lots of big plays and uh, you know, Jake, the snake, that was his personality. Drew, Drew is different, I think, in terms of his personality from, from Jake, but they do have kind of that same confidence in who they are. Yeah, of course, Jake had that long, flowing hair. He had the beard. Uh, you heard him mention it there that he thought his greatest strength was the fact that he was aggressive, but it also could have been his biggest weakness, too. So um, that comes with the territory. And uh, what do you think about him saying he was eating dandelion fritters? Uh, I might pass on those. Yeah, I'm not sure if I've ever had the dandelion. That's a, that must have an interesting taste. Um, I think I'll pass on that as well. But uh, our thanks to uh, Jake Plummer there for uh, hopping on. Whenever you think about Jake Plummer, Eric, my thoughts just go to that 2005 AFC championship. Man, if the Broncos would have just won that one, I really think that they could have had a chance to uh, win it all that year uh, to claim another Lombardi. It got me thinking, though, Eric, if you could go back in Broncos history and think about changing the outcome of one single game, what game would you choose? Yeah. Uh, you know, I think it's hard not to pick the the wild card, or excuse me, the divisional game against the uh, Baltimore Ravens there in 2012. That team was just, you know, we looked back at that that 2012 Monday night comeback against the Chargers last week, um, or earlier this week, I guess. That team then rattled off so many wins in a row, finished 13 and three, didn't lose again the rest of the regular season. We've talked before, Phil. That might have been the most dominant team that they had during that stretch when Peyton Manning was here. And I know the Seahawks Super Bowl is painful, Super Bowl 48, but at least the team made it to the Super Bowl. And, and truly, with as many injuries as that team had on the defensive side of the football, um, you know, it, it kind of was overachieving in some ways. Uh, but the to not win a playoff game in 2012, especially one that it looked like you had sewn up it was a favorable path, I feel like, the rest of the way to get to the Super Bowl. So that one, to me, is one that you look back and you think, man, could have gone to three Super Bowls in four years with Peyton, won a couple. That one's tough to get over. Yeah, I think there's obviously a lot of different ways you could go about this. You can just right off the bat go with any of the five Super Bowl losses and be like, well, if you change that single game, boom, you automatically have another Super Bowl. Um so you could think about it that way. Cheating, I think that Phil. you could, huh? That's cheating. Exactly. But then I think that if you look at it and say, okay, which of these losses was really the most painful? I would say that uh, 1996 divisional loss to the Jaguars was really painful. That 2012 loss to the Ravens was really painful. But if you really think about it, those pretty much very similar teams later on went on to win Super Bowls. So they, they did finally get over the hump 
The one thing you could say about that 2005 Broncos team is that they never went on to win. So uh, that that is that one was painful because, you know, they had had so much trouble trying to get past uh, Peyton Manning and those Colts teams. And uh, when the Steelers knocked off the Colts a week, a week earlier, when the Broncos beat the Patriots, you thought that the coast was clear and that they were finally going to get this thing done, but it didn't work out. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I think there's a lot of ways you can look at this. I, I would just personally choose that 96 loss to the Jaguars because I was a little kid that crushed my dreams. And I really think that the Broncos would have had an excellent chance at winning three Super Bowls in a row. The only team to ever do that. So, you know, uh, I, I mean, I, I do think your point about not winning one in the 2000s makes a lot of sense. You know, guys like John Lynch, who could have won a Super Bowl. You know, that never happened. You think of uh, Champ Bailey. You know, you think of, uh, you know, Jake, Jake Plummer. Like, those are guys that they didn't, they never ended up reaching that mountaintop. And so that's difficult. And, you know, any of these, Phil, uh, when they're upsets, I think that makes it a little more difficult. You know, 2012 game at home in Baltimore, 2005, you're hosting the AFC championship. I mean, that's, that's difficult. Yeah, that some that Jaguars team, and then that Raheem, because because that Ravens game came down to like one moment, one play, that makes it really heartbreaking too. Because you just think about that, and it's still like it's still too soon to talk about that Raheem Moore play. So I know that there's going to be like recency bias there because people are going to say, well, that's just because it's more recent. But I think that uh, those are the those are the, just the hard, cr- soul-crushing kind of games um, that if you don't win those, they really stick with you. Yeah, and you could argue, too, that like that 2005 Broncos team, I know they lost the AFC Championship, but it's not like they were the favorites going into the playoffs. You know, like obviously Indianapolis that year in the AFC was far and away the best team. Uh, New England coming off a couple of Super Bowls. I mean, I know that they were – um, the Broncos were 13 and three that year, so they were really good. But they weren't the one seed, right? They were not the one seed. I believe the Colts yeah. were. The- yeah, I mean the Colts just—I think that was Peyton's best team that he had there, and so I think people expected them to roll. You, I think there were a lot of questions even when New England came to Denver about could the Broncos beat New England there, um, and so they did. They did, but. To me, the twenty like the twenty twelve Broncos team, it was like, man, this team is a juggernaut. Yeah, yeah, and and you could say that about that ninety six team, the Broncos that lost to the Jaguars. You could argue that even if they would have beaten the Jaguars and even gone on to the Super Bowl, they weren't as good as the Packers maybe necessarily that year. The Packers were really good that season uh, that they won the Super Bowl. So you could argue that maybe they wouldn't even have won it all then too. So uh, uh, just some heartbreak there to just think about. And, you know, I think great players, they always say it's the heartbreaking losses they remember the most, not the wins. And uh, those are some of the games that I think will last with uh, some of the Broncos greats. They'll always think back to some of those, what could have been. So um, Eric, let's move on to our final topic here. The NFL owners have met this week and they've decided to uh, 
table a couple of discussions that we we thought maybe we would have liked to have seen, or at least I would have liked to have seen, uh, put into place for this next season. That's, of course, the uh, swapping out the onside kick for fourth and 15, and then also maybe having a sky judge. They decided to table both of those things and uh, re revisit them at a later time. Yeah, I think with the fourth and 15, you just want to be careful not to make a change that's so drastic. And I think it sounds like there were concerns that, you know, you can't advance an onside kick. And so if you were to get a catch and run on a fourth and 15, you end up scoring on that play. I think there's just a lot of different things that can happen. I don't think people were comfortable with it quite yet. It doesn't mean it won't happen in the future. But right now, uh, you know, I, I thought maybe they could have tried it in the preseason just to see what it was like. Um, the one the one kind of major change that did get passed was teams can now bring back three people from IR instead of two. Obviously, last year the Broncos picked Tim Patrick and Drew Locke for those two spots, and guys like Jake Button, Theo Riddick had to stay on IR. The reason that's in place in the first place is that you don't want teams stashing guys on IR, uh, you know, and kind of abusing the 53-man the roster limit. But, you know, I think at this point they've realized that that's not really happening in this situation. And it's better for the league and better for teams if their best players are out there. Yeah, uh, I agree. I think the IR thing makes a ton of sense. Um, when talking about the sky judge topic, I think that there was a concern that there wasn't enough uh, quality officials to get in place at every single location on every for every single game. That was a concern there. But one thing I think that the NFL has now they really haven't fixed is that that blatant error of a, of a non call. They tried to do it last year with the being able to. Uh, review pass interference that didn't really work so they removed that but now they they've gone back to square one where they haven't uh really addressed that issue so uh, i still think that they're eventually going to have to think about a way to fix that um and then you know with regard to the fourth and 15 i really wish that that was something that they could have at least tried out for a year see how it went just looking at some of the numbers since the rules changed on kickoffs without having the running start there's two seasons worth of data on this only 12 attempts have been recovered on 115 tries so that's about 10.4 percent there um and then if you want to look at fourth and 15 during that same span there are only 14 attempts of fourth and 15 five of those were converted. So that's about 36%, but that sample size is not really big enough to really get a good idea of. And that also doesn't account for when it took place in the game. So I, I think eventually they're gonna have to think of a way to make it so that teams do have an opportunity to come back in some of these games, because right now, when, you, when you're down like 10 with like a minute or two to go, you really don't have a chance to come back. So you know, I think I think teams should be rewarded for winning a football game and for building a lead. You know, it's hard to do in the NFL. A lot of these games come down to four points or fewer. And so if you're one of those teams that can put a team away and play solid football the first three and a half quarters, I don't think you should necessarily be penalized. And the way they're doing it now, there's just too many there's too many loopholes. I mean, the fact that you can be leading and do it, the fact that you can do it in any quarter, the Chiefs could go up seven nothing. 
and then do this on back-to-back drives and be up 21 nothing before a team even touches the ball. I mean, yeah, but that would be fourth and 15 from their own 25. That would be yeah. really, really risky. Yeah, but if you're uh, playing a team that you think you could get an advantage doing that, I mean, I don't think it's impossible to say that that, that would be the case. You know, or what if, hey, you've got a, you've got a few seconds left. You want to get an extra chance before halftime. I mean, I mean, there's just too many, I feel like, loopholes at this moment that as constructed did the rule make sense? Um, I just think, you know, it's the equivalent of, to me, it feels a little gimmicky and is the equivalent of a basketball team is down and like you let Steph Curry take an unguarded half court shot to see if he gets to keep the ball, like on consecutive possessions or something. It does seem gimmicky. I, I mean, I give, I give you that. Um, so why not try it in the preseason or just sort of see how it goes? Um, I did, I did see Rich McKay, He's the chair of the competition committee. He did say something that, like, he didn't want to make it uh, a comeback too easy for a team, which, uh, I mean, I understand. Like you said, you build a lead, you should be rewarded for that. But um, I do think there's something to be said for adding drama and excitement as the game goes on, um, you know, making some some games that seem out of reach a little bit more possible. But um, we'll have to see uh, how the NFL looks to address that uh, moving forward. So, um, Eric, I think we've reached that point in the show where we like to do something called shout outs. Yeah, Phil. Uh, shout out Liz Manis, of course, for all the nice community work. Shout out Jake Plummer for joining us on our first edition of Broncos Legends. Shout out Ron yeah. Smith for breaking down some film for you. I mean, some, some nice, a nice stretch of guests here on the neutral zone. Yeah. I mean, I was going to say shout out to some of these Broncos alumni for uh, being available. And, you know, one of the things I think the Broncos have done a great job of is making it be a family. You know, once you're a Bronco, you're always a Bronco. And uh, I think there's something to be said for that, that, you know, there's something special about the organization where once you've played for the team, you always feel like you've got that attachment to them. And uh, you've seen that with a lot of these guys. They like to stay connected. They come back for Ring of Fame ceremonies. And, uh, you know, shout out to these guys for, you know, we send them a text message. We send them an email and they're available at the drop of a hat. So I appreciate those guys for uh, taking some time to help us out and uh, get their word out there. And, uh, of course, shout out Liz Manis. So. I think that will uh, do it for this edition of the Neutral Zone. Like we just mentioned, uh, thank you to Rod Smith. You can catch his film breakdown on YouTube and also on DenverBroncos.com. Some really good stuff there, taking a look at the drafted wide receivers from the Broncos. And then uh, Jake Plummer took a break from eating some dandelion fritters to talk, and uh, we uh, enjoyed that conversation. So if you want to... uh, Rewatch that. That's also available on DenverBroncos.com and YouTube. So that is going to do it for us. We'll be back next week. But until then, for Eric Dalala, I'm Phil Milani. You've been listening to The Neutral Zone.